You're listening to Adopted Feels with Hannah and Ryan, a podcast on anything and everything adoption related. In this episode, we chatted with Edward Yu Pokrovsky, executive producer of the upcoming Asian Comedy Fest. Ed is also writer-producer for the brand creative team at USA Network and Universal Kids for NBC Universal. He's been nominated for a Daytime Emmy twice and won zero times. He also performs stand-up and hosts events, sometimes for money, sometimes for a drink ticket and a story. Ed is originally from Philly and proud to be a Korean-American adoptee. Ed talks to us about moving to New York six years ago, which was the catalyst for developing confidence in his own voice, in both comedy and as an Asian-American. This journey from finding community to activism ultimately led to the creation of the Asian Comedy Fest. As the name suggests, the Asian Comedy Fest is dedicated to elevating Asian talent and comedy. This year's event takes place online this Friday, May 27th, and you can buy tickets now from AsianComedyFest.com. Proceeds benefit Apex for Youth, an organization that delivers possibilities to underserved Asian and immigrant youth from low-income families in New York City through mentoring and educational programs. You can also follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Asian Comedy Fest. It's great to meet you, Ed, and thanks so much for talking to us on your uh, yeah Friday night at the end of a busy week. So you currently work in the entertainment industry as a writer and an editor for NBC Universal. Um, we were wondering, like, was it difficult to break into that kind of work? And um, growing up, did you have any Asian role models or mentors, um, particularly in the entertainment industry? Um, well, well, first of all, thanks a lot for having me on, and you know, thank you for um, ha- you know having me on on your Saturday morning. So my Friday night, but your Saturday morning. So. I really appreciate it. Um, when it comes to you know media stuff, it, it you know it is yeah. I guess it's hard to to break in and get to a, you know whatever people perceive as a as a high level. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of careers and a lot of jobs where it's it's um, very um, competitive. But media is one of those ones that is so forward facing um, that it seems so uh, big and daunting from any angle. But, it, you know, it's a career like many careers where there are so many facets to it and so many ways to work in it that I think people forget about um, the different, you know, ideas and the, the ways that you sort of can contribute, whether it's television or um, or film or, you know, again, it could be in the office. It could be, yeah, it could be writing behind the scenes. It could be, uh, you know, what's called a line producer that you're, you're kind of taking care of logistics in the books. So, so there's a lot of different ways to kind of, get into it. And yes, it is hard and it's, it's uh, competitive, but you know, I think a lot of careers are, and I think people just think it's even more so with, with media because of how big the front facing top level of it seems. Um, but you know, local news, like there's so many ways in, um, you know, when I first started out, I worked as a, you know, freelancer in Philadelphia and that has like a very small market, obviously not as big as New York or LA. But I started out, um, you know, just kind of being a what's called a PA production assistant and doing and being on set and just kind of being the gopher, you know, grabbing, um, you know, coffees and being a, you know, assistant to whatever the shoot was or whatever an editor was doing. Um, and that's how like a lot of people get their start. You know, you, you intern at a place and, and yeah, you're making copies and, and just doing all that type of stuff. Um, and that's how I got into it. And then while I was sort of finishing up school um, and working at a you know, a production house, 
I was also doing just freelance like video work on my own. So I would, you know, shoot something for whatever local business there was or, or independent people doing stuff. And I'd shoot something and edit it for them just to make a, a little bit of money on the side. Um, so, you know, that was just, that was kind of the way I made it in. And as anything is like, I got lucky too, because the place that I was working and interning and being a production assistant at the time, they had started work on, they got contracted to do a show that was being run by PBS and it was a kid's show at the time. And the way it got kind of picked up, it was for a network that was just kind of starting out. And I was just on a production team that was supposed to only run for maybe six months. And it was supposed to be like a part-time, uh, you know, freelance thing that maybe could get picked up or maybe it wouldn't. Um, and at that point, my plan was to just, you know, kind of reevaluate once that job finished up, maybe move to New York to a higher um, volume market. Um, but that job ended up, this, the series, the show got picked up, the, the network got bigger, and I just kind of kept working for them in different capacities and worked my way up the, the chain and the ladder from there. Um, and it all kind of snowballed into other opportunities, other jobs, and it, it kind of through a lot of different ways landed me at the place I am now at NBC Universal, um, you know, working for a, a couple different cable networks. Um, so when, you know, I guess the long answer to that question is I just, I got in as like a lot of people do as an intern and then an assistant and just kind of worked my way up from there. Um, in terms of, I guess about, uh, you know, mentors at the time, I, you know, there wasn't a ton that were so, um, I guess obvious, like, you know, Margaret Cho was, had already been out. She had had her network show in the nineties at the, you know, at that point. Um, and in terms of like, I guess other Asian American producers or writers, you know, not, not certainly not at the level that it is now where like they're being much more uplifted in the media. If I, if I ran into one or an editor or a camera person, you know, I thought that was cool, but it was few and far between, especially in Philadelphia at the time. So there wasn't, there wasn't necessarily anyone that I could specifically like look to and say, that's who I want to aspire to be. Um, but you know, I still, it was one of those things where I wanted to represent myself well, but I guess by extension, you know, um, you know, other Asian Americans, but it just wasn't the type of, it wasn't the conversation at the time. It wasn't the hot topic that it is now. And God, if it was, that would have been great. But I, I think it was just, it was just a different thing that I was exploring. I wasn't exploring when I first got into it, I wasn't exploring it in a way to be like, we need more Asian American representation. I was exploring it because I was like, I think this is really my passion, what I want to do. I think I'm okay at it. I like writing. I like being creative. I like, you know, when I was in school at a, for film school, I enjoyed the process of it. Um, so it really was uh, for that reason and that reason alone. And, and the whole Asian American thing uh, was sort of, um, you know, it kind of came later. Where I was like, well, that'd be cool. You know, I just, there wasn't that many out there. I think uh, at the time as I was, as I was coming up, um, there wasn't as many Asian American, you know, obviously plenty of great Asian, uh, you know, country cinema stuff, but just not as much in America. When did you become interested in comedy and when did you try stand up for the first time? So I felt like I was always kind of interested or just into it, even when I was growing up as a kid. And then, you know, you know, later years too, I, you know, I, I would, get comedy albums and I'd watch a bunch of stand up. But it, again, at the time, it's not something that I thought of as like, um, Oh, this is my 
interest, passion thing I could do later. I just enjoyed it. I liked watching mm. stand up, and it was just something that I, you know, liked to watch and consume. Uh, later, you know, I guess there was a point where there was a time where I thought, like, oh, it would be so cool to to try that out myself. And when I was in Philly, um, there just wasn't as many, uh, you know, open mics or places to do it. The ones that you, that were there, you kind of had to get on a waiting list or you had to be kind of established to kind of get those reps in. And, and at the time I just didn't have the, the, I, the, you know, the wherewithal to kind of figure it out the way I should have on my own. But when I got to New York, which was about um, six years ago, when I got to New York um, and started, you know, kind of getting a little bit more settled into the, to the job and my new role there, it was a time where I was like, I really did want to get out and try to do more stuff on my own, try to do my own writing, my own work, whatever it was that wasn't for like a company or another thing. So I, I felt like I would, I was like, oh, I should try stand up again. And I, I took a class at one of like the many places you could take a class. I started doing open mics, which is a grind, <laughs> but you do them. Uh, and, you know, and, and, and I sort of got into it that way. And then you talk to other people and you see what they're doing. You know, you, you start getting into those circles and, and Facebook groups and Instagram and all that stuff. You see what's happening. You see what um, other people are doing in the community and you kind of pick up the rhythm of like what the paths are, you know, what paths people are taking and how to, how to go about it. Um, you know, I, I would say it's, it's always a tricky thing because you, there's so many different schools of thought or ways, you know, that people believe you should or shouldn't go about doing it. So that's a hard thing to navigate too. Um, mm. But I think getting to New York was the catalyst, honestly, because New York is like, is, are, some would say, and arguably and rightfully so, New York is the mecca for stand-up comedy. It's, it's the, it has the comedy seller, it has all the biggest, um, you know, names. And it, it, it's one of those things where it has the, un, you know, it has like the underground cred, but it has the top headliner mm. spaces too. So New York, you know, if you're going to give it a shot and if you feel like you can do it here, I mean, not to use a cliche, but if you do it here, you, if you make it here, you can make it anywhere, all that, you know, BS. Um, but, you know, I think that's one of those things is like getting into New York and getting that energy. It's like, oh, well, if you're going to try stand up, why not? Why not try it here? And if you fail, you can always be like, well, it's the hardest place to do it. So I failed, <laughs> the, hardest, I failed in the hardest place to do the thing that I tried to do. So um, that's that's kind of how, you know, it, it started. What kind of material uh, do you do you tend to use in your comedy, um, and do you yeah draw on your own adoption experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as every, I think when you're trying to get your footing, you're always well, you know, you're probably going to talk about more of personal the, all the stories that you've already maybe been telling friends or telling new people when you meet them. And and I, you know, obviously starting out, a lot of it was um, past experiences growing up, um, you know, being adopted. Uh, being, you know, growing up in a mainly white area um, and, and things about my childhood and, and even like late, uh, late childhood, early adulthood. Um, so that's kind of how it, how it started for me, at least. You know, it's interesting where sometimes, you know, I try to throw something in topical or I try to put something in that I was thinking about, like a movie. Or I, I, love, I love movies. And, and, and those would be okay. They would work. But I, I just didn't have the chops, the tools to make those work exactly. So, you know, sometimes I would, you, you'd fall back on the stories that you've been thinking about or telling for years because those are, 
at least you have the foundation of being like, I've told the story. I, I know how to tell the story. And, and you tighten up some of the words or you fix some of the pieces of it and you get better and you get better. And they're like, you know, then you can get to the thing where you're like, isn't it crazy how in home alone, blah, 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 you know, that type of stuff. Like it's, it's, it's harder to tell that joke than it is to tell the, the joke about yourself. And like, you know, growing up, um, in a, in a, in a mainly, you know, white neighborhood or just feeling, you know, weird because your last name is Polish for me, you know, my last name is Polish. So stuff like that is just like, that, that was like bread and butter for me for the start. And obviously I still dip back into that you know, on plenty of shows, you know, time to time. I guess like in a lot of ways, uh, yeah, being transracial adoptee is um, this kind of like rich ground for, for uh, comedy content. But um, I was wondering if like there are also like certain uh, topics or experiences for you that are like, is there anything that's off limits or um, anything that you, you wouldn't want to be too self-deprecating about? Oh, um, you know, it's tricky. Uh, you know, I guess one thing is it's hard to be self-deprecating sometimes as an Asian person slash Asian guy. I think there's this thing where I want to be a self-deprecating person. I am a self-deprecating <laughs> person. But then you also realize that there's this, there's this weird, um, you know, you're on the stage, you have a mic, you have a voice for a few minutes with at least, you know, a few people. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I don't have a voice like on Netflix or like millions of followers, but in that moment you have a voice and that's still important. So if I'm going to stand up there, you know, do I want to present myself in a story that's you know, that's interesting and humanizing and funny and all those things, you know, for sure. Um, or do I want to lean on a story that like, yeah, that may be a little bit more self-deprecating, but I don't know, maybe doesn't paint the best picture of my overall, you know, way I look. Um, the trickiest part is like, yeah, certain comics don't have to worry about that. You know, um, we've all seen like an, like the overweight, you know, an overweight older white dude does, he can be, self-deprecating people are are ready for that like we've seen it before we understand how that works there's a million there's there's other white guys to come up to be you know good looking and not that you know i mean so there's there's enough of a mix that that guy can be self-deprecating not worry about like oh no now everyone's gonna think white guys are only this way you know (laughs) but for me when i'm on a show usually i'm the only asian person on the show there's not another Mm -hmm. asian person walking up behind me being like Oh, oh, bing, bang, boom, you know, and being like the, the super confident, like, ah, Hey, you want to go home? Uh, what's your number? You know, not that that guy, that guy sucks too, but you know what I mean? Like I just, there's no, there's not exactly a mix. So I can't, if I go up there and if I'm a sad sack for five to 10 minutes and there's nothing to kind of follow that up and get the other perspective, then yeah, I'm going to go home later and like be, be like shit. Like why, why did I go up there and only talk about like, you know, these certain things about well, when I was growing up, people would only, you know, think that I could know karate, you know, just, just hacky stuff like that. And there, yeah, there comes a point where you're like, um, look, if it's a really, really good joke and it's a little self-deprecating, I'll tell it. If it's not the best one that I can think of, I won't tell it. The other thing that happens sometimes, and this is the worst response you could ever get. I would try to tell a joke that was honest and true and funny, or I thought was funny. It was a little dark, maybe it's a little self-deprecating. Instead of a laugh, people would take it too seriously and they would go, aww. And that would happen in like more progressive rooms and God bless them, they're supportive, but 
they also sometimes like take things too literally in that moment where I'm like, I'm telling this story as like, yes, it happened. Yes, it might have been painful, but here's how I'm laughing at it now. But then you tell the story and pieces of it don't sound great and don't feel good. So people are like, oh, we feel so sorry for you. And I'm like, oh, crap. Don't feel sorry for me. I'm just, I've, I've moved on. And now I'm telling a joke about it. You see the full circle thing? And, and sometimes people just don't get that. And again, you can't necessarily fault them for that. Their experiences are different. Um, but in those moments, you're like, bah, I met, you know, I, I didn't tell it exactly right mm. because people couldn't laugh at it. And uh, that that's that's the toughest thing is to, for any comedian is to find that balance of being like, will people find exactly the angle that I am trying to communicate in this moment, even if it's dark, even if it might be self-deprecating, no matter what it is, can I find that angle? If I haven't found that angle on a on a self-deprecating joke, then I won't tell it, uh, and I'll try to stick to the stuff that's a little bit more, you know, still to, honest to me. But maybe isn't beating myself up so bad in front of a in front of a full, you know, fifty person audience. So I think we'll move on to the uh, the Asian Comedy Festival that you yeah. uh, created or co-created. Um, yeah, co-created. Yeah. I'm actually so so this year it's just the it's the second annual festival. Yes. Um, yeah. And in a way, I'm kind of surprised that. I don't know, something like this didn't exist like before last year. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about what led you to, to start it? And um, yeah. Sure. Well, actually, so there had been some other ones and we didn't, you know, we didn't have, we hadn't fully realized exactly. Cause like, you know, it's a, it's a big world out a comedy world out there. And there had been one in um, 2015 that was sort of, it, it was an all Asian comedy fest, but it wasn't exactly talked about in such overt terms. Like I think they were trying to be more of like a, an Asian American run and, and mainly Asian American run festival um, that was, was still sort of like inclusive or diverse in a way that they weren't necessarily so much saying the, that they only were taking Asian American acts. I'm not exactly sure. I think I, I think I sort of messed up exactly how they framed it, but in any case, there have been certain things like this before. Not so much so overtly in the sense that, like, we're calling it an Asian Comedy Festival and we're, and we're being a little bit more overt in all the things. You know, there's there's been plenty of Asian American shows. Asian AF um, uh, is, is one of them. And, and there's been, you know, shows that are specific to that. Um, as, a, as a fest that's trying to, that we're trying to build what the fest is across, you know, when we first started, it was just in New York. But this year we are trying to expand it more since it is digital. I, I think this is the, the time and given the atmosphere of what's going on is the first time that, you know, one has started uh, in this way. So that's what we're trying to kind of build upon. So we, we certainly weren't the first, um, but we, we tried to be, um, you know, just very clear about our intentions and, and very much putting a lot of different types of Asian American acts in there, whether it was, um, you know, sketch and improv and, and stand up and musical. We had a, we had a magician last year, um, do some, uh, comedy magic. He was great. Um, so yeah, we, you know, we're, I think once we, once things really open back up some more, hopefully they do. And, and now finding the way that digital really does help a lot too. 
trying to find the best way to balance those two things of digital, live, in-person, all that stuff that's happening together. Hopefully, you know, this just leads to more, more things um, like that and more fast, more shows, more, more, um, more things that include a lot of that type of vibe. In preparing for this interview, uh, I was looking at like this recent NBC News article by Claire Wang. Um, I, I know, I know Claire. I, um, oh, okay. I had, I, I was doing a, a podcast at a time, um, and I had her on after she did an article. Um, and I, when she, that article that you were reading, she had reached out to me to get some comics on it. So I know that article very well, uh, intimately. Yeah. Yeah. intimately. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. Well, do you want to? Um, we're curious. Um, just to talk about it a little bit. So yep. as, as we all know, I think um, traditionally in comedy, there, there have been like uh, lots of kind of stereotypical jokes about Asians. But, but nowadays we're seeing like um, Asian American comedians countering those, those kinds of jokes and like creating comedy like on their own terms. Yeah. I don't know if you <laughs> have anything else to say about that or. Oh, in terms of like how what changed or like what like why that's sort of happening now versus before. Yeah. And if that's something that you also kind of explore in your own comedy sometimes or. Um... Yeah. So I think any, any group that's, uh, you know, a, you know, people of color, um, you know, groups that, um, that stereotypes, I mean, obviously any, any group can have a stereotype about them. Um, you know, when you're, when you're telling jokes and you're a comedian, um, you know, people, some people think stereotypes are funny. They do. There's, there's, uh, it's hard to get around that, but that, that is the case. And whether that's lazy or, or whatever you want to call it, you know, you know, uh, in, in most polite terms, you could call it lazy and in, in, in harshest terms, you could call it racist. It, it depends on how the joke is or what the framing device is of it. So, um, you know, can a stereotype joke, never be funny no that i i, I don't necessarily believe that because if it's a commentary on the stereotype then obviously that's doing something that's saying something um but i think when it comes to being you know if we're just focusing on the idea of asians and asian americans and and stereotypical jokes um it always goes back to and i guess it goes back to the self-deprecating same conversation it's like yeah what 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 type of comment do you want to make what type of comedian do you want to be are you basically saying like, hey, any voice is a voice and this is the path that I chose and, you know, uh, there's we should have room for all voices, whether it's stereotypical, um, you know, shitty ones and, and uplifting, you know, saying something about society ones, you know. Um, some would say you're supposed to see the full kaleidoscope of voices on that spectrum. And other, and obviously, other people would say, like, no, 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 those stereotypical ones are hurting the cause. Those stereotypical ones are setting us back. Those are the ones that are affirming the things that the that the people who want to, who aren't Asian want to make shitty stereotypical jokes. And then they can point to that Asian person and see, see, they don't have a problem with it. Well, why, why are you feeling this way? That person's doing it, so whatever. Blah blah blah. So look, yeah, I we we can't ever tell someone not to make a joke or, or hell make the money they would want to make if they want to make the money and the fame, you know, whatever it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hard, 
it's a hard thing to really nail down. What's the line, you know? Um, so myself, you know, it's just, it's not necessarily where my head goes. So I'm not going to try to push my head there. And I also don't necessarily always like to do the thing where you go, I'm uh, defying stereotypes. I don't necessarily like that either because you're doing the thing where you're, one, you're giving credence to the stereotype. You're saying the stereotype exists. You're saying it out loud. So you're saying, mm-hmm. I am in, in opposition to that, but yet you exi- you admit the existence slash you know, power of it. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, you know, sometimes I'm like, Listen, I just want to like the things I like. If they happen to fall into the stereotype category, I shouldn't have to feel bad about that. I should be able to watch a, a, a martial arts movie. Uh, you know, I, I do some, I used to not do martial arts, but then I got into boxing and did other martial arts. And then all of a sudden I've, you know, it's like I should be <laughs> able to do Muay Thai and someone not be like, oh, you know, martial arts. I knew it. You know, I should, <laughs> my friend, my friend should be able to be a doctor and not someone be like, well, we're all, we're all only doctors, but your mom's really happy about that. You know, I have, I have plenty of Asian friends who were like, oh, I went to Harvard. Did you know that? And I'm like, yeah, you told you tell me every single goddamn weekend. <laughs> so like, it's, it's, you know, yeah, there's, there's a piece of it where we should be allowed to do the things, like the things, be the things we want to be without always having to talk about or defy or fall into, or, or do the, stere- you know, whatever the stereotype may be, um, you know, we should be allowed, like anyone should be allowed to just be like, hey, these are the things that make up the, you know, the full spectrum of who I am and what I do. And some of them probably fall into the stereotype and some of them don't, but oh, well, you know what I mean? Like that's, that's hope, that's where I would hope we would get. Some people are just lazy thinkers and they can't get their head, they can't get their brain out of like a, a, a space or a box of being like, oh, that Asian guy's doing the thing that, you know, some people just can't, they, they can't go beyond and you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess that's how you think you never got out of high school. So, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. Um, yeah, there's only so much, there's only so much you can do to change or influence that all the time. You just kind of got to. You just, you, you kind of got to do what makes you feel like you're doing the right thing for yourself. I'm curious, do you ever make fun of white people in your comedy? Like that whole punching up thing? I mean, you know, it's tricky because I make fun of white people because I'm adopted and I grew up around white people and I, I would make fun of my mom sometimes and my dad, you know, my dad who, you know, I don't really talk to anymore, but you know, yeah, and, and make fun of the people I grew up around, you know, like, yeah, it, it, do I make fun of, like, white people in a way that's, like, so general and, and like, not, no, not really. I, the, when I make fun of white people, it's specific. It's because it's, <laughs> it's very specific to experiences I've seen. Mm. Um, and, and you know, that, that to me is, like, yeah, it's, it's more of, like, a story about something that occurred and something that that happened uh, versus, you know, just a generalization about all white people. I mean, I'm sure I've told a joke that, that probably someone would be like, Oh, you told that joke one time about, about white people. Yeah. So maybe I've probably thrown some in there, but I don't know that I can necessarily put my finger on what the difference is. I know academically what people say the difference is, but I, yeah, for me, I guess it's, it's the type of thing where like, if, if I'm telling a specific um, experience or story um, it, it's usually usually in relation um, 
to that. So, you know, I, I don't know. Again, like anyone, a really good comic can tell, can, I've seen plenty of comics get up there and there's been a crowd of white people and they're like, you white people, blah, 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 you do this and da, da, da. And the crowd is like, yes, <laughs> we are the worst. God, do, yes, rip us apart. We're terrible. Please, more, more, more. And then sometimes, you know, the, someone gets up there and they say the word white people and it, the crowd turns their heads off and they're like, oh, here we go. More white bashing. And we're, we're always the racist, blah, blah, blah. It happens in, in both ways in both rooms. And I, I mean, that's the thing I think is fascinating. It's like anyone can get sensitive about something. They really can. And people will tell you like only certain people can get sensitive. And no, anyone, anyone in any situation, you hit, there's a, everyone has a button. Everyone has a nerve. I know even the hardest people I grew up with in Philly will tell you they don't, they do. And, and it could be something as simple as I, I'll say something about, not me, but someone could say something about the Eagles or their favorite person. And, and they're like, what, what? You know, and they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What, <laughs> da, da. And I'm like, oh, so, so someone's sensitive about something. You know what I mean? So <laughs> everyone has sensitivities and whether, whether they're about race or, or, or class or favorite sports team or favorite movie, whatever, every, we all have them. And I think if we were, I think if we were a little bit more understanding of that, one, we'd see each other's sensitivities and say, oh, okay, I got it. And then also be like, okay, yeah, we, uh, yes, I could probably take myself a little less seriously on certain things. And then I draw the line and say, no, these aren't things I'm, these are things that truly are um, crossing the line and here they stand. If we were able to re- evaluate those things from time to time, it would help, but self-evaluation is just, there's, there's not enough time in the day some days. I, I get it. <laughs> That's a, um, actually a really good seg to, to another question we have, which is kind of about yeah, where, where people draw lines. But um, it's a very uh, Australian thing. Um, I think Hannah would know more about this than me. But um, Australians, I think, pride themselves on being really kind of chill and casual. There's this idea that you should just be able to take a joke. And if you, you express any sort of defensiveness or like, that's not funny, then, then people are like, oh, but you too uptight, like you should just be able to take a joke. And I didn't, you know, didn't mean anything by it or whatever. Um, and we were curious about how you kind of respond to that sentiment and whether that's changed over time for you. Yeah, absolutely. And then when I read that question, it, it reminded me of Philly, same, same vibe of like, mm-hmm. you got to be tough. You, you got to be ready to hit people back with some sort of come back, you know, you, you can't come back with like, Hey, that's crossed the line. You got to come back with something and insult about them, which like, yeah, when you're growing <laughs> up and you're a teen, you know, you're a teenager, sure. That that's different. You feel like, okay, this, when you get a little bit older and you, you, you know, you mature, but you're like, you know, that's, that gets tiresome, you know, and at a certain point you want to just be like, Hey, are we, are we, are we cool? Are we friends? Can we have a conversation about this? If we can't, then our friendship or our, at least our understanding of each other stops at a certain wall and, and I guess that's the way it is which is fine but yeah I, I think the whole thing and, and this conversation comes up all the time in comedy and just in general and media now and Twitter and all the stuff of like people you know too sensitive versus you know taking a joke versus you know whatever whatever the thing I mean my response and my feeling about it is the balance of that there should be a balance of everything and like a bad you know some things just aren't jokes and if you want to be the type of person who misses the mark and then just does that thing where they say um, they try to cover their tracks by just saying it's a joke, 
nine times out of 10, everyone knows that you are not joking. You just failed. At, you, you made a comment that didn't work. And now you're, you're hurt because you're being insecure. You're obviously insecure about the fact that you're, you weren't validated for what you said. So now you have to make the other person feel like it, they're crazy, that they're the ones that are, you know, uh, being sensitive. So that's, mm. that to me is obviously as everything is when we turn the mirrors back and around, anyone that says you're being defensive, anyone that says you're um, not being able to take a joke, it, the mirror's on them. To me, it's like basically they're saying the things. It's like, oh, oh no, you feel insecure right now. You feel like you should always, your thoughts and your feelings should always be okay because something's not right in your life. Clearly something's not right in your, your life that you can't understand why someone would just have an opposition to what you're saying. Um, I, and obviously on the other side, there's certain cases where like, you know, if you misstep and you say something that, that hurts someone's feelings and you want to have a conversation be like, listen, I am sorry, my bad. Like that, you're right. And, and if they don't want to accept that, then there's something going on there too. And if there, there is situations where I've seen where people have been like inconsolable in the moment when there's genuine, like trying to like have a conversation about like, I did mess that up. And can, can we have a conversation? Can we please talk this out? And there's a stone wall on the other side. And that's another thing that that's happening. All, mm. all, all this to say is that um, when people say that, people are being too sensitive. That's not always, you know, that's to me a, a case of like, if a joke is bad, if it's lazy, if it's um, not a joke at all, you should be able to call that out and have a conversation about it. To shift gears a little bit, um, it seems to, to us at least that in this, at this point in your life, you, um, you feel like very comfortable and um, and proud of your like Asian American identity. So I was wondering if you can like talk to us a little bit about that that journey to um, to coming into pride. Um, that's just an expression that I, I recently heard from another adoptee, Lee Herrick. Mm. Um, because we also yeah watched this uh, this talk that you did on YouTube a couple of oh, years yeah. ago that was great. Um, and you, I think you kind of mentioned that there was at one point an identity crisis um, perhaps like before you took your first trip to Korea. Um, yeah. So can you just tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah. Um, you know, kind of what that talk was, was kind of, you know, I've talked to people since I was a kid, you know, about being adopted and, you know, so I've plenty of practice and plenty of different iterations of it in my life and different ways that I felt about it, depending on what was going on. So, you know, yeah, early on in my life, it was, it was a fact and it was something that I talked about and couldn't hide, obviously, when you're a transracial adoptee, there's, there's no getting around it. Um, but, you know, there does come that point where you start out and you, depending on your personality, like, I don't know about you guys, but I did try to do that thing where I'm like, I'm not going to be sensitive. I, yeah, I'll make Asian jokes about myself too. Ha ha, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm this, I'm that totally went through that phase and, and totally went through the phase that I know a lot of Asian, um, Korean or, uh, Asian American adoptees or Asian adoptees and other, um, even other Asians that will go through where they'll say something like, Oh yeah, I know I'm not really Asian at all. Um, which, what does that even mean? But uh, you know, at the time as I, as I was a kid and I was like mostly with friends who weren't Asian, 
Um, I, I would say that a lot. And they would say it to me and I would say like, yeah, you're right. And, um, or they'd say things like, yeah, Ed, you're basically white. Um, and at the time I felt good about that. Honestly, I did. I, I really felt like, oh, I'm, I'm accepted. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm one of the guys. I'm one of whatever, you know, and it wasn't at the time it does. It didn't feel, um, bad, but it was odd because it, it, there was a little bit of a tiny, like something was happening. There definitely was something there that didn't feel right. Whether it was like, mm. you know, the, the tag on your t-shirt being askew or a rock in your shoe. You're just like, it's not, it's not right up in your face, but something just isn't landing exactly right. But you're like, whatever. I don't know what this is. I'm too young. And I'm mm. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. So, th- two, so f- two metaphors, two <laughs> metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so eventually, um, I think eventually it transitioned from I'm uh, yeah I'm basically white to, to being like okay uh, I don't feel good about that anymore and the thing that changed that for sure was the casual way in which certain friends could be racist towards other groups talk about other groups in a very um, not great way or then they would talk about things that were um, slurs or things about me that if if they didn't know me it would be a different story and i knew that like because we 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 were in the same type of circle in schools and other kids that would maybe tease me yeah they might be like oh lay off but i kind of know that that wouldn't happen if there wasn't if we didn't have a previous connection they would just be doing it to some other asian kid had had they just the the stars not aligned and they just happened to be in you know my circle like yes they accepted me but that was that was just in the moment, but it's not to say that they've never said anything stereotypically bad about other Asians. And that's the other thing I didn't like. I didn't like the idea that they were like, well, you're not like them. Your English is perfect. Or you're not like that. You don't, you know, eat this type of food, you know? And I didn't like that. I didn't like the feeling of being like, well, they're this and you're that. And then I also didn't like the fact that I would be treated like shit by some of the same peers as them. And they wouldn't get that. You know, they, they wouldn't understand that, like, while they're saying these things about me or other people or the, the, the same people of them on just on the other side of the street were treating me poorly. And it just it, it sort of changed the thing for me where every time someone would say, oh, you're basically white. And I was like, yeah, see how you said basically you see how that that changes the sentence. You see how like you you suggest that people can be um, in the club, but clearly not fully in the club like we, we see you see what's going on here so I think that changed the, the the makeup for me and getting to high school was at least a little bit more of an eye-opener because it was a more diverse space like there were more you know it was in a different part of the city with just more people coming together and that helped a little bit I still was a little bit like not sure how to interact with other Asians that were at the school because obviously they looked at me like I was a bit of an alien at the time um because I just didn't know what what the the culture was like. I even now I hear um, Asians talking about the whole the the stinky lunch thing, where they would be like made fun of for bringing stinky a stinky lunch to school, and I was like, I can't I can't relate to that very specific experience because my mom didn't give me Korean food to take to school. She gave me lunch meat sandwiches like every other white kid in the neighborhood, so I didn't get that. So that's the thing that like there's certain experiences that like, obviously we couldn't connect on other ones we could, but I didn't necessarily even get through that door because there were just certain things that I was like, uh, I'm clearly not 
speaking the same language, even though we speak English, we both speak English, but the other language, the other cultural language. So I, I then, then I went through this period of like, I guess I uh, am not going to connect with Asian people either. I guess it's just not going to happen for me. You know what I mean? Like I really was like, <laughs> crap, you know? And then, then I, that's when I think I really focused in on like, all right, what do I want to do with my life type thing? Cause I was getting into college and it was like, Oh, I, I want to, you know, I, I think I want to get into television and film. That's crazy, but sure. Let's try it. Um, and then that was like really focused on that. And when I started working, I, I met more people who felt like, on the outs that like other outcasts, misfits, misfits, whatever, which sounds again, stereotypical to film and television people. But I met other people who weren't necessarily Asian, but they were, you know, of a lot of different backgrounds, colors, races, whatever. Um, that felt the same way. They're like, ah, I don't exactly fit into the, the, maybe the thing that I should, but I fit into this vibe and, you know, we all fit together and that was great. And I felt like this camaraderie, it honestly wasn't until like feeling comfortable with, with them and like, feeling I could speak about my own experiences and voices and then transitioning to get to New York where I met more Asian Americans who were more confident about the people they were, the families they grew up with, the experiences they had had. Talking with them and learning more about um, Asian culture in a way that I hadn't immersively before, then I felt more, more, I guess, I don't know if I want to call it pride right away, but more more interest, more, more passion about stuff like that. And I think trying to just like express my own experiences felt better. And while they didn't necessarily match up all the time to every single Asian American I met, actually nine times out of 10, it didn't, but at least it, at least it um, started the conversation. I tried to put myself out there more. I tried to go to more, you know, meetups and adoptee group things and, and, um, you know, talks and panels and all that stuff. So I tried to like, while I was immersing myself in, in, in New York and that scene and, and comedy, I was also trying to immerse myself in like the Asian American scene and activism and, and all that stuff. Um, and, and I, and yeah, and I think it helped be able to talk about myself, whether in, in standup, um, having met other people that felt on the outs that weren't necessarily Asian American and then meeting Asian Americans who were like super confident in, I mean, obviously still with their insecurities as well, but confident enough about like who they were and um, being New Yorkers, you know, like they grew up in, in parts of Brooklyn, you know, like they were Asian Americans within New York and, and that like identity that they were so um, confident in sharing inspired me to be like, well, Oh, I'm, I'm an adoptee from Philly. And, you know, and, and then I, the more I said it, the more I felt good about it, the more I shared about it, the more I felt good about it. So I think, culminating in, in that talk that you guys saw um i'd already been building to something like that to be like i've had these conversations with individuals i've had these conversations with new people i meet with friends whatever being able to do it in front of a crowd and get some of the you know that was only 10 minutes and i was like the guy was like you cannot go over 10 minutes and i was like this is a lot to fit in 10 minutes and he's like you better fit it in 10 minutes and i'm like all right fine so i think like um at, which is nice that you guys have given me like a ton of time which is really nice having moments like this to be able to share um you know that type of feeling and stories and thoughts always feels good and the more that people and the fact that you guys have a podcast is great and that you you talk about these things and, and have people talk about these things every single time that you do that you might not even think about it but you're putting you're putting emotional money in the bank. You, you, you're, you're putting those things into your own. Um, I'm, I'm saying a lot of metaphors this time. Um, you're putting those things into yourself that, that will, that 
will pay off down the road that you don't even realize. But when you get out and you're just like some random day and you're meeting someone new or you're talking about a thing you love, all of a sudden you're going to be sparking and talking about in a way that you're like, oh my God, I feel great, you know? And, and those are the moments that you're like, this I, this is great. These, these are, this is why you say things out loud. This is why you share your thoughts. It sounds like moving to New York was just such a, um, a, a fruitful decision for you, like in finding um, different communities and like having different conversations. And um, yeah, it just sounds like a, a really uh, positive like turning point in your life. Oh, absolutely. And, and <clears throat> while, while there's always a heart, you know, a place in my heart for Philly, whenever I take people back, I always love to show people around and say, here's the, here's the part that you haven't heard about. And, you know, and being like, you know, there's, there's a ton of great stuff and not, you know, yeah, there's the Philly is a tough place and yeah, there's a lot of tough characters down here, but you know, there's, there's other great things and let me show you and, 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 and see all the, the different things. And I think, I think every, any place is like that. Every place has its like front facing the stereotypical, you know, places are a lot like people where like people just want to, compartmentalize and, and say, oh, this, this place is just that, or like, you know, let me just go and explore the top line touristy stuff. Like I, I, I say that a lot too, about some people just want to be tourists, whether it's tourists to the place they visit, where it's the tourists of the place of the people they meet, of whether tourists of the interests that they take on. Some people just want to get the very basic surface level. They really want to be a tourist to everything. And those people um, uh, those people often are the ones that you have the hardest time with because they just, you, you can't necessarily nail down who they truly are, what their, their interest is, because they're, they're just this amalgamation of, of the, the tiny surface level thing we know about everything. And it's like, what have you gone deep on? What is the thing that like, that goes be below the surface of just like the cheesesteak of Philly or, or, or you know, the Gangnam style of, of Korea, you know, wh what is the thing that you're taking a moment and saying, all right, I got the tourist stuff. Now let me see a little bit more about this thing. If you, if you don't have that stuff, it's going to be hard to um, get past uh, a stereotypical way of thinking. There's actually, um, this is random, but uh, a Korean um, idiom for, for like a superficial experience, which um, translates to, like licking a watermelon. <laughs> anyway, just from my <laughs> holy, <laughs> <things look. laughs> holy geez, I love that. What what is the what is the idiom? How does how's it said? Uh, I can't remember actually the verb for lick. But yeah, something subak <laughs> <laughs> something something. Oh my god, I'm I gonna go look that. Once we are yeah. done, I I think licking the watermelon is the perfect way of saying what I what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of a better way. What what a like not great experience to just lick a watermelon. <laughs> like, what is, like watermelon arguably is already kind of like on the low end of taste when it comes to fruit. Like it's it's good, but it's like it's it's watery. Man, to lick to lick a watermelon. Wow, wow, that is all right. Well, that'll stick with me. Thank you for that. Okay, so for our final question, I think this is kind of like a, a feel-good question. Um, okay. In that same YouTube talk, you mentioned how, at, like, as you, we already discussed, like, um, sometimes Asian-Americans um, will say to us as adoptees, like, oh, so you're not really Asian, or like, oh, you're kind of fake Asian. Um, and <laughs> so you posed this counter question in your talk, um, 
like, so what makes us Asian then? Yeah, I was wondering if you remember, well, I'm sure you do, the, um, the answer that, that you gave then and um, if, if that would be the same today. Yeah, so, uh, you know, what I said during that was I was trying to build on, like, the experiences that I had. I was trying to tie the idea that my, while so many people's, so many adoptees' goals, or, or maybe just people, what people think adoptees' goals should be, is to find their birth family. I think that's like, you know, anytime you meet someone that isn't adopted, um, they're always like, Have, did you go looking for your birth family? Did you find your birth family? And it's like, you know, usually the answer is no, because statistically that's hard. <laughs> so um, I think that's the thing is like, I went to just see what was going to happen. And the things that I experienced along the way were the, you know, again, not to get cheesy, but the things I experienced along the way on the journey were the things that I gained the most from the, the food, the, the, the people I met, the experiences I had, the walking in the city, you know, all those, all those things were the, the, the most important part. And like, yeah, I, I, I didn't meet, my long lost mother, sister, brother, whatever. Um, but I experienced, you know, everything that I could hope for in, 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 in that trip. And I think what I was trying to say was, you know, what, what makes us Asian American or what makes us Asian. Um, what I guess I was trying to say was it's, it's like, it's all these experiences that we have. It's, it's everything together and not one, just one thing, just one experience, just one um, joke or, you know, love of Boba, you know, you know not that I, <laughs> not that I just subscribe to that whole ridiculous thing anyway, but whatever. I, I think it's like, it's more of like, um, it's the culmination. I think I said something very specific, like we're, we're, um, adaptable, we're survivors, something like that. But in, in the moment that was very much based on like the talk and, and like that experience, but even that is like, is, is kind of specific. But I, I, I think what, what makes us, you know, you know, in, in a, in a positive way, what makes us Asian is, is just the collective things. And, and that, that goes for anyone. What, what makes you who you are are, are all the things that, that are, that come along with it. And yes, I, I think some, for some people and for some situations, I, I, I would say even for myself in some ways, it does come from how I've been treated from the external things, the other, other people in the world, you know, like that, that definitely has a, a an impact. And so, um, that's the one thing, whether for better or for worse, like, well, I didn't know what it was like to grow up as an Asian in terms of like, um, celebrating lunar new year. I didn't know what that was like. Did I know what it was like to get called, um, Jackie Chan? Yeah. I knew what that was like. And while that's, and that's the thing is like, that's a shitty thing to, to be <laughs> connected on. But what I mean to say is it's a experience of, of, of my life and maybe perhaps others too. So it's just to say that like the things that can connect us as uh, Asians is perhaps similarities of things that we've shared, but also just learning more about each other um, in ways that uh, expand our knowledge of each other. Um, again, whether that, that way, that way other Asians who aren't adopted won't say to Asians who are, well, you're not really Asian. And if we really had, if we sat down and had a conversation and, and oftentimes I do with them, um, they, they might be like, oh, you know what, actually my bad, you know? And then I'm like, <laughs> it's fine. I know, I, you know, I know no one says that um, in an Ill, ill-willed way. No one says that unintended, you know, in a way to be hurtful. Um, the funniest thing I think is I was talking to um, 
Oh, I was talking to two other podcasters. They're going to be on the show. Their names are Mike and, and Fumi. Um, they run a podcast called Asian, not Asian podcast. You guys might know it. It's, oh, yeah. it's kind of popular within the Asian, um, you know, podcasting scene. I was on their podcast. And I think we talked about something, or maybe I was just talking to one of them off, you know, off pod about it. But um, they talked about the whole name thing. And what I, and then I realized I had talked to other Asians about this too, is that they were jealous of the fact that I had a white last name. And um, because some sometimes for Asians, it's a, it's a stress point of like their name and, and pronouncing it and, and it feeling foreign. But for them, they were like, so jealous. You have, you have a white name. It's great. And I was like, I've been jealous of you <laughs> because you have a name that is tied to tied to something it feels tied to something my name is like one people can't even pronounce it so i don't even get it's not like it's smith or johnson or or whatever or adams people can't even pronounce my last name either so i don't even get the benefit of a supposed white last name where people can pronounce it it's they butcher it all the time so that's out the window and then the other thing of it is is that like um there's always there's always a confusion point there's an additional confusion point of like they they see the name first then i show up and it's like oh uh oh uh, you know and then there's this whole thing um so i'm always like look it is it's not as bad as you think it is it's actually great if i had a, a name that um you know sometimes i've used my korean name in in certain ways i use it on linkedin i use it in ways just on, on asian sh- shows or the things that they do and not for a way to be like gross and pandering about just to be like hey it's not a white guy doing this thing just so you know the person producing the show isn't white so, so don't worry you know here's my face you know and and that's the thing is like it's it's a it's another conversation that kind of has to happen and the only reason i don't use my um korean name more is because there's this tricky thing where no one really gave it to me it came from the orphanage. It came from who knows, you know what I mean? Like it came from uh, a system and not that, you know, who knows, you could argue all names come from a system, but uh, I don't know, you know, and maybe you guys are the same. I don't know what my original Korean name was that my mother or father gave me. So this other name feels foreign too, um, in a way that, that feels weird. The reason why I, I keep and use my, um, my adopted name um, is because it's, it's something that I like to say and talk to people about and be proud of in a way of, of my background. Um, it comes with baggage, it comes with hurt, but it comes with good things too. And it comes with, um, you know, being the person who I am. So I'm not ashamed of it in that way. I mean, it's tricky because it's technically my, my dad's name. And again, we're not on the best terms, <laughs> but you know, it, that's, I always say it, it's, it's my name. It's my name. Like as mm-hmm. any person's name is, even if it gets handed down, it is your name. So um, that's the thing that I think is the tricky part about, I'm sorry, this was the long way to answer your question about Asian versus, you know, <laughs> um, real Asian or not, or what makes us Asian. Um, but all this, all this to say that it's, it's our experiences and we should be, um, we should be as kind to each other as we can be, uh, especially now, especially now. And, and, the, the only thing that's going to help us is conversation and, and not just lick a watermelon conversation, really bite 
the watermelon really get down in there, <laughs> dig it out, pour the soju in the, because I do like that version of the drink, really, really get in there. And um, that's what's going to help us all out and, and, and connect even more like this, like this conversation. Thanks. I feel like that's like the perfect ending for <laughs> for this episode. Um, yeah. No, I was I was happy to, to bring the watermelon back. <laughs> the call back. I call back to the watermelon is 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 I'm 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 happy with that. Yeah. I feel like we need to incorporate that perhaps into the title. Um, somehow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I I feel like you guys that that should somehow be a, a catchphrase of the of the podcast in general because it's gold it's great i think i think it also like shows the um the extent to which i actually study korean which is like to pick up like a book <laughs> of like korean idioms and like flick through it like and that's and then close it yeah so <laughs> anyway yeah. so you wow that's meta that is yeah that is very meta <laughs> Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Adopted Feels Podcast. We're on Twitter at Adopted Feels. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening.